Welcome to the family with Mike Gelfand and Andy Brampernard. See, we got all the big shots in studio today. Got a great guest coming up in about seven, eight minutes. That's how it should be, right? Damn tootin'. A return to form. You horn tootin' is all I have to say, ladies and gentlemen. So, what's the latest? I, uh, I'm just looking forward to, like, probably the, the best day in the United States right here. Best day in the United States for what reason? Just for the weather. And, oh, for the weather. You know, yeah, that's true. It's a day without smoke. We're going smokeless, I think, today. Smokeless today, and it's only 70 degrees, partly cloudy, 70. Yeah, and it's going to be like 80 for a high, which is, you know, about about average for this time of July, year. July, yeah. A little cooler, but, you yeah, know. Yeah, a little cooler. Yeah. So why doesn't that heat, if it's so prevalent in the south and the west, why doesn't it just roll in everywhere? Well, it's I mean, the winds so, tend to blow from left to right. That's the thing. It sort of is. To, you know, I mean, like next week, we're, it's going to be 101 on yeah, – that's just the long-term forecast. But it's going to be 101 next Wednesday. So, you know, it's mm-hmm. just it's, everybody's getting it at some point. And some people are getting it every single day, you know, like people in Las Vegas, Palm Springs, Phoenix. Right. And a lot of places – I mean, places pretty much everywhere. And in Europe, of course – yeah. There's not much hiding from it. But. Well, and, uh, particularly if your population is very high. Mm-hmm. Then you got, like, all of the west, or excuse me, all of the eastern hemisphere is packed. Yeah. Like, you got, what, eight, I think it's, what, like, seven and a half billion people live on that, on the, um, on that side of the world? Uh, well, you totally, yeah. I mean, seven and a half billion people is a lot. Do you think, here, here's the problem that I have with this is because both sides um, argue about this, that, and the other thing. And like everything else, both sides are guilty of causing this problem. There's no question about that. People Mm -hmm. pushing for this and pushing for that and building bigger houses and burning this and burning that. And and then the other side is, let's just let everybody just wander into the country by the millions. Mm -hmm. You just can't do that. Well, there's so many factors. You know? There are many factors. I mean, when, when the planet is on fire like this, it's not going to be just one thing. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's all sides. Well, all right. I was just, I'm just expounding on what you're no, saying. No, you were stabbing me in the back. I could see well, by the look on your Well, I'll do that later. Oh, later. That comes, okay, that comes <laughs> later. But, yeah, I mean, all of these problems that we have right now is because we, we're so, on both sides or all sides, very lax mm. in controlling what should have always been controlled. You can't just let people come and go willy-nilly, yeah. and, and I still do not understand. I mean, when Catherine and I got married 40, oh, 39 years ago now, mm-hmm. we decided, that, and a month or two ahead of that, that we would, if best case scenario, we'd have one boy and one girl, and we'd just replace ourselves, and that would be it. Mm-hmm. Now, if Catherine and I were thinking about that 40 years ago, why wasn't everybody else? Because I'm not exactly Mr. You know, clean Planet. It yeah. just seemed like the prudent thing to do. Yeah, that's uh, I uh, I broke family tradition and had three kids, but um, well, you're a sex fiend. Well, that's you know, that's the it. problem. Yeah. Well, I always say, you know, uh, this three kids and it's uh, it's it's wonderful, you know, and it, it's worth all the pain and suffering I went through to con- have them conceived. <laughs> Oh, that's a real nice descriptor. Yeah, thank you. I'm sure the, the ex is real happy oh, about yeah, that. Yeah. Well, I listen, it's just part of the portfolio. Tom, I can't tell you about the hell <laughs> I went through. But no, I mean, all the way back then. Yeah. And when you look at the fact that Catherine at the time was only 24 years old. Yeah. 
uh, 25 maybe she, she might have been by then. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and she just talked about, well, why don't we just replace ourselves and that'll be good. When you robbed her from the cradle. Robbed her from the cradle because I'm eight years older than she is. You're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. But, but I just love all these people that are experts now. It's like, where were you decades ago? Well, and, and you know, a part of it, there, there's a lot of people around the world uh, and certainly not far from me. A lot of people who believe that their religion mandates them to just keep having children yeah. until yep. uh, until it can't be physically done anymore. I get why. Well, You're I, being you know, fruitful and multiplying. Being fruitful and multiplying. Well, I guess. I, you know, like I had there, there was a guy who lived across the street from me, a very nice guy, and he was um, sort of a rabbi. I see, sort, sort of a rabbi, I like yeah, that. because you know you and I would think of a rabbi as a guy who had a congregation and all that, well, right? Of course, absolutely. But but in the diaspora, pretty much all the guys call themselves rabbis. It seems a lot of them. Uh, do. Yeah, that's true. You're right. You know, and yeah, and so, it, but you know, there again, it's 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 the argot, right? I I don't understand what they mean by that either. But the guy was telling me, you know, and he kind of looked at a smug look in his face, and he said. You know, there's still some of those, uh, like, conservative or reformed Jews around. But, yeah, uh, give me 10 years. We're going to outnumber them two to one. <laughs> so it's all about politics. It's dominance. It's, it's dominant. Yeah. Politi- Which is politics, yeah. Yeah, right. It's politics. Yeah, yeah. Michael Bryant, Brad Sean. Bryant, what's the latest? Uh, we're just trying to represent people who have been injured through no fault of their own. We're trying to talk to them before they talk to an adjuster or before they take a settlement that isn't something they should get based upon their injuries. How many people are out there in different, not in the law business, that love to run around scaring people before you even get to them? Well, adjusters will want to settle cases right. and they want to close files. So based upon that, they do what they have to. Um, I think there's a lot of circumstances where they probably act as attorneys where they're not attorneys and they try yeah. to explain people's rights or they give them a certain view that if they look at it. And what I always say is this, if the adjuster really truly thinks the offer they made makes sense, they'd have them come see us. You know, And that's exactly my question is you have to understand who has the best your best interest in mind correct well you want to know what your rights are you know whether or not you decide you're going to hire us or not that's a choice it's a free consultation and you want to understand what your all your rights are and what coverages you have and plus the fact i hang out with you so you got to be a good guy (laughs) if i'm hanging out with you Uh, maybe (laughs) (laughs) okay ladies and gentlemen michael bryant bradshaw and bryant Tom here. For years, you've heard me talk about my friends at North American Banking Company. They have great online and mobile banking options, plus friendly employees who are always ready to help. And with their location in Maple Grove now open, it's even more convenient for me and my family. Go visit my friends at any one of their six Twin Cities locations or go online to nabankco.com to learn more. Why not bank with my banker? North American Banking Company, a better banking experience, member FDIC and equal housing lender. You all have helped build MyPillow into the incredible company it is today and have trusted in Mike Lindell to give you a great night's sleep. Mike's latest incredible deal is on the Giza Dream Sheets, which you've heard me rave about before, that's for sure. These sheets are made from the world's best cotton, Giza. They are ultra soft and breathable, yet extremely durable. Right now, the Giza Dream Sheets at its lowest price ever. These sheets are 60% off, coming in as low as $39.99 with promo code TOM. We got Scott on the line. Scott G. Shea is with us. How you doing, Scott? Hey, Tom. How are you? I tell you what, Scott, I'm fantastic because we only had to talk about four or five different times to pick a time that worked for you yeah. and us. Thank you for your patience, Scott. I appreciate it. Hey, 
No worries. I love uh, promoting the book. <laughs> well, I will tell you this. All the leaves are brown, how the mamas and papas came together and broke apart. Uh, you're talking to a guy, Scott, that is of an age. Well, let me put it this way. On the way in this morning, I was listening to uh, to an HD2 station. It's called WDGY, and they were playing this. They play music from the pretty much 60s and 70s, I guess, is what they play. And right. I heard the mamas and the papas. But I also heard Minnesota's own Gary Puckett and the Union Gap singing Lady Willpower. Oh, right. Scott, I'm still a <laughs> huge fan of this music. Huge. As am I. It's a, just a great era, you know, timeless, really. It's just uh, stood the test of time. I think 100 years from now, people will still be listening to it. I hope so, because it's, first of all, uh, and I don't mean to be, you know, coming down on today's entertainers, but... Back in those days, the Mamas and the Papas and Gary Puckett, those people could actually sing. Right, and they wrote their own songs, and yep. they uh, well, if they if they sampled something, they usually uh, they usually didn't take the recording of it and throw it in. They they may have just played it themselves, you know. But uh, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. But it's just uh, you know. Um, you know, they they were genuine, uh, much more genuine. And listen, there's great artists today who are genuine out there. I mean, Taylor Swift and Ed Sheeran and people like that come to mind. They they are authentic artists who write their own material and they come up with clever melodies and and stuff like that. But it does seem like it's uh, kind of few and far between these days. You know what I love, Scott, <laughs> is looking back. Um, we were just talking about this whole situation with. Uh, with uh, the smoke and the, I don't know if you guys are experiencing any of that, but a lot of smoke oh, yeah. coming out of Canada and all the rest of it and this and but just reading all the leaves are brown and the sky is gray and they want to go to California. Well, not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't seem like it's, a, they've had a, you know, it's, like, it's almost like a, a, they're springing a leak of people there. But, uh, yeah, you know, back in uh, – California has always kind of been, I think, even, you know, in the mind of, of some people today, it's, you know, kind of like the land of milk and honey yeah. and the, yeah. the, where dreams can come true. And uh, obviously there's beautiful places there. There's still great uh, uh, scenery and architecture and just, it's uh, you know, some beautiful nature spots there. Unfortunately, there's people there that don't make it too good. But, uh, you know, I guess that's, that, that, that can be said for a lot of places. But uh, for the mamas and the papas, that was true. You know, uh, Michelle was a California native, Michelle Phillips, right. and she really inspired, and she inspired that song, uh, inspired John to write it, and she helped, uh, helped him uh, co-write it. I don't know this for sure, but I'm just assuming this because I was born in 1951, so, you know, I came up in that era. Um, did the Mamas and Papas, was their biggest break Ed Sullivan, do you think, right at the very beginning? I wouldn't say that's their biggest break. It, it certainly okay. helped them. They didn't. They didn't really get on Ed until late '66, right. and you know they had already had a couple hits out by then. Um, you know, I think uh, they had uh, "California Dreaming" and "Monday Monday," which had gone number one. So um, it, it was certainly a boon to them. But uh, you know, I think uh, had they, they not done Sullivan, they probably still would have been pretty pretty popular. But you know, that introduces them to a whole new demographic. You know, the right. parents do. Of the kids and stuff like that, so um, and, and you know they uh, they were pretty um, uh, non traditional looking. You very much brought the hippie ethos into the people's living rooms, really, yep. kind of for the first time, I think. And 
you know, uh, when they opened their mouths and sang, uh, you know, it was it was a it was an enjoyable sound. I think even a lot of uh, a lot of kids' parents probably didn't object to to hearing them. Well, as I said, Scott, I just heard heard one of their songs on the uh, of the radio this morning, and it brings me back to a very happy time in my life. People, let me put it this way, Scott, and I don't mean to be a smartass about this, but back in the Mamas and the Papas days, we're talking mid '60s, you know, early '60s. Uh, on through for a few more years, it actually seemed to me as a young boy, of course, that people actually liked each other. Un- unfortunately, <laughs> not like today when it's like, oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, the way I always look at it is take any era and throw cable news and um, <laughs> exactly. social, social media into it, and you'll probably can end up with the same thing. You know, oh, god, so. Yeah. I, Yep. Probably a little more subdued, but I think people still had contempt for each other you know, <laughs> back in those days. But it just seems a little bit more uh, amplified uh, these days. For some of the people in our younger audience, I need to mention something. that The era we're talking about, I believe the population of the United States at the time was about 180 million people, 175 million people. And oh, if you got on the Ed Sullivan show, 70 million people watched that show every Sunday night. Yeah, it's because there's only three, you know, that's only three channels to choose from. So, right. you know, uh, you know, it was much, much more competitive, you know, the, the number, it was, you know, the chances of, uh, of, of having a hit were uh, much, uh, were, were, you know, the, the chances were, was, the, the odds weren't in your favor, let's just say that. And, uh, you know, that's, I think one of the things that makes uh, music familiar, especially, you know, is that you did have limits to mm-hmm. exposure. And, um, you know, if, and, and the cream really rose to the top. And, so, and just, just uh, thinking, back, back then you heard, you heard someone, uh, you heard a great band, uh, any great musician and Ed Sullivan. It was like listening on a transistor radio. Yeah, about, it, you was. Know, it was. was. <laughs> you yeah, really right. couldn't hear much of anything. No. That's very, very true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. TVs they didn't they weren't uh, they weren't like they are now. You no. know, and they didn't have surround sound or anything. But uh, yeah, you know, still, still not, still special though. You know, I, I, I kind of one of the things I oh, like yeah. to do is I like to listen. I like listening to old air checks from that era, uh, and hearing you know you hear how it sounded and something special about that sound, that buzz coming from the AM radio. I don't know what it is, but I like it. You know, and it, it, you know, here we are trying to get to the most uh, sophisticated sound uh, for our music which i do appreciate but at the same time i like hearing uh i like hearing how it sounded when it was when it was new no question scott did they get lucky with these uh, putting these four people together because it seems to me it was a perfect fit i know they had some problems backstage and all the rest of it but as far as appearing on stage and their voices their voices matched perfectly i thought <laughs> Yeah, for sure. They, you know, and a lot of that is to credit to John Phillips because he yeah. was a, a magnificent arranger. Uh, you know, kind of in the same mold as as Brian Wilson when it came to putting uh, voices together. He could take people who couldn't sing well and you know find their strengths and their weaknesses and uh, you know bring out the best sound in them. And then when he had people who could sing well, like Cass Elliott and, and Denny Doherty, you know, it was the sky was the limit. So. Uh, yeah, it was. There was some luck to it, but you do kind of make your own luck in a lot of ways. And you know, these uh, these four kind of came across each other during the folk boom of the early '60s, and uh, just kind of found each other. And you know, we all benefited from that. No question. I, I used to love that the teenage girls when 
they'd be watching the show and all the rest of it. I'm talking about how wonderful the melodies were, the songs were great, the voices blended together beautifully, and every teenage girl go, yes, and they have Denny Doherty. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't he cute? Isn't he yeah, it's cute? Like, it's like uh, you know, it's like Paul McCartney, you know. Yes. Every every teenage girl loved loved his baby face. Well, <clears throat> how did they get so lucky to to to, to bring? No, I, you know the Phillips were married, correct? Right. Yeah. Um, you know they they had all met while they were in folk groups. Oh, okay. um, John. John had been in a group called the Journeyman, who were they were signed to Capitol Records, and yep. Denny was in a group called the Halifax Three, and they were on Epic Records. And Cass was in a group called the Big Three, and they were on a smaller label called FM. But uh, you know, they uh, they had met uh, through various folk tour packages, usually for a, a program. I think it was on ABC called Hoot Nanny, which oh, was yeah. kind of like American American Bandstand for yeah. folk groups, sure, you man. know. And so they would. They would go on these package tours, and that's how John and Denny met, and that's how Denny and Cass met, uh, you know, or got to know each other better, I should say. And, uh, um, you know, it's just, it was networking, you know, and John just, you know, John liked Denny's voice. You know, he saw how, yeah. uh, how he, Denny, Denny had a great uh, 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 voice for folk music, but he had a real rock and roll tenor. I think he's very mm -hmm. underrated as far as, as uh, lead singers go. Uh, and John loved it. And, uh, you know, when he had the opportunity, when he reached, formed the journeyman after they broke up uh he called with the new journeyman he recruited denny uh to be uh to be a lead singer for him and uh you know denny was denny was happy because he was broke you know so yeah. um you know and then and then Cass was denny's uh denny's friend she was in love with him she she fell in love with him he's a you know handsome guy and uh, unfortunately he didn't feel the same way about her romantically he loved her as a friend but uh, you, nevertheless, you know they were they were close, and uh, you know they they uh, got together in the Virgin Islands in 1965 when you know they were still unknown, but they had saved up their money, wanted to kind of go there after the Beatles came along and eviscerated the folk music boom. Yeah, uh, and every, all, all those young players, like you know. Uh, Roger McGuinn and David Crosby and Stephen Stills, and they all picked up electric guitars and got back to playing rock and roll music. And um, so they went to the Virgin Islands to kind of regroup and figure out what they wanted to do. Was it going to be folk music? Were they finally going to convince John to do rock and roll, which he was resistant to do? And uh, Cass, event Cass wasn't with them when they when they set out for there, but she she got wind that that's where they were, and she she went and, and tracked them down and uh, sung along with them. And John didn't really want her in the group. Uh, he was, you know, he wanted to do kind of a trio, a Peter Paul and Mary kind of thing, and Cass was very persistent. And then when they auditioned, when they auditioned in California a few months later in Los Angeles, uh, everybody everybody liked the way she looked with him, loved the way she sounded, and they became a, a quartet. Yeah, just uh, great memories of that. So, and it's so funny, uh, you mentioned Hoot Nanny, and my my brain. I want to thank you so much for this, Scott, because now the rest of the day I'm going to be thinking about Shindig. So thanks That's for right. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, a lot of those are you can you can catch uh, five performances on uh, or old episodes on YouTube. So the great thing about YouTube, everything seems to be on there. Um, do you think we'll ever make a, a return to that kind of music where it's kind of? I guess I, you, I suppose folk music is one one way to describe it or whatever. It's some of my favorite. Particularly for the for the for the blending of the voices, the vocalization, the, the groups, uh, do you think we'll ever return to that? Now, I got to be honest with you, and I'll be right up front, Scott. I 
grew up in a very urban neighborhood, so you would think that I'd probably be a big fan, but I cannot stand rap music. Uh, let's get back to the R&B <laughs> and the folk music. How about that? R&B and folk. That was Dan Dillon who killed folk music. Yeah, way to go. Mm. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, there are a lot of good uh, retro, what they call retro soul groups out there, and they, they really kind of do 60s and 70s type R&B. Um, you know, I think of Duran Duran Jones and the is is one of them, and uh, there's a guy named Mayor Hawthorne, and you can find that. Good, there are people who make it. I don't know about the you know folk rock, but you know, but uh, yeah. you, you know, you can find you can find people who uh, who, who make it. You know, music has just become so specialized, and uh, you have to really kind of seek it out. You're not gonna. You're not going to turn on your FM radio and and hear it, you know, because they're, they're they're trying to pander to, you know, my 12 year old daughter, you know, yeah, uh, and mm-hmm. uh, she, and although my 12 year old daughter she loves the she likes the music that I listen to, she also has her own, you know, and, and so and I remember being that age and being that way as well, so um, yeah, you know, there's good music out there. You just you just kind of have to dig for it now. Yeah, and I mean, but but again, just even bringing this up, and and, and again. People might not even know about HD2, but but uh, FM radio stations now have, you know, HD1, HD2, HD3. There are many, many. There's not just one radio station on that site anymore. You can get version 1, version 2, version 3, and they could be completely different formats, which uh, I think somebody should educate people to, to HD2. Andy, do your friends know about HD2? Do we think? know about it, but we don't really know how to use it. Like, sometimes the radio will say HD2, and I'm like, why is it doing that? (laughs) (laughs) Why is it doing There's a lot of great music in what Scott's talking about on HD2. A lot of it's on HD2, and it's really good. Well, so it's basic. It's the same frequency. Yeah. But it's multiple signals on that frequency. That's correct. Okay, I see. You just dial over to, uh, just click over once, and it'll stay on the frequency, but it'll be on HD2 instead of HD1. It's great. Complicated, but it is. Yeah, well, that's a yeah, good way you have to, put to know. It. You have to know it's there for one, which I don't think a lot of people do. Right? Not yet. I think that's probably true. Uh, but I, I, I do hope we, and I, I we probably won't because it's a much different world now. But it helped me through troubling. Let me put it this way: through my my early teens, late teens, music like that helped me through my youth because. There was the turmoil of the Vietnam War and all that stuff. This music really did help young people out a lot, Scott, I think, anyway. Yeah, and I think music, uh, you know, tends to. It, it doesn't seem to be as much emphasis on it now because, you know, I think technology has kind of replaced that for a lot of yeah. a lot of kids, yep. like, you know, at least with my kids. But, um, you know, you, 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 people are kind of anticipate, you know, anticipate the next version of the iPhone more than, you know, their favorite artist's next album. Uh, but um, you know, it's you know, it still is a it, it is a great healer and it's a great unifier too. I think you know, I, 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 you know, my father he's very politically conservative and my father-in-law he's very politically liberal and but they both love you know like doo-wop and fifties and sixties right. music. And if you put if you put that on, then they, there's a there's a, they can come together on that you know, and uh, it is it's, to me it's always been one of the most unifying forces out there. I don't think there's any question. Mike, Andy, what do you think? I, I think music is, for me, in my youth anyway, uh, I'll give you an example, going through the whole Vietnam War and all that stuff uh, back in those days, and I got to my late teens by the time it had wrapped up. 
But I remember uh, Marvin Gaye had an album out called What's Going On. Oh, that, yeah. that album mm-hmm. might have saved my life, Scott, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Actually, that's a great album, too, oh. man. You talk about one of, one of the best, you know. It should be in everybody's top ten. It should indeed. Now, I, I don't even want to ask this question because of the what the answer might be, but do we have any members of, of the Mamas and the Papas that are still with us? have one is Michelle Phillips. You know, she's, uh, I think she just turned 79. So, um, you know, John, we lost Cass obviously in 1974 from heart failure, not, not, not a ham sandwich. And, uh, we lost, uh, uh, John in 2001 and, and, uh, Denny Doherty passed away in 2006. So uh, really at a kind of a young age. I mean, they both, I think both John and Denny were like 65 or 66 when they died. Isn't that sad? It's I a mean, rough life those musicians lead a lot of the time, though. Yeah. yeah All the traveling it's, 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 and... And it's a cautionary tale of what the drugs and alcohol yes, can do. Yeah, you know, so. so I assume the book goes into that. That might be pretty interesting to read about. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, yeah. The, you know, the, the book focuses primarily on the life of the mamas and the papas, so it covers the group, you know, through their early lives and up until the early 70s when they, they broke up. But, you know, I do go into a, uh, an epilogue on what happened to everybody uh, mm-hmm. uh, afterwards and, uh, you know, go into pretty good detail. It's not it's not cursory, but, you know, it's not in-depth, but you'll, you'll get a good sense of what happened uh, to everybody afterwards. Now, Mike and I, I think, understand, but you made a very quick reference to ham sandwich and Mama Cass, and Andy, you don't even know what that means, do you? I do. Oh, do you really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there was this big tale that she had choked to death on a ham sandwich. Mm-hmm. Well, I never understood that. Right. Well, what happened was when she, you know, she was playing uh, in London for two weeks, uh, doing a two-week stand uh, at a venue there, and um, she, you know, she had gotten rave reviews, and it she she was staying at Harry Nilsson's uh, London apartment. Oh god. And um yeah, well he wasn't there. <laughs> but, no, 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 I understand. Uh, I understand. <laughs> she, she, well he he was he was quite a hellraiser himself. Oh yeah. But um he uh she had gone to bed one night. She had, you know, after a concert and uh she had a ham sandwich and she it was on her nightstand, but uh, she passed away in her sleep from heart failure and uh the next day when her physician arrived and there was a reporter there and that he had noted the ham sandwich and he said uh you know she may have choked on it and the um uh the reporter kind of took it and ran with it oh, and okay. uh damn journalist yeah and a couple of days later they uh, they did a proper autopsy and you know de- de- determined the uh, cause of death to be heart failure from you know her prolonged drug use and from yo-yo dieting and um but the you know the die had been cast and it's it's kind of hard to put that genie back in the bottle. Even in death, she kind of became a fat joke, you know, which is a shame. Well, there's tons of that, like Elvis dying on the toilet. I think right. Well, that's yeah, a myth, right. isn't it? I believe so. Yeah. I mean, I think he was in the bathroom, but I don't. Yes. I don't think he was in you know in mid. Uh, you yeah. Know what, when he, when well, he, I, I think a lot of out. a lot of opiate addicts did die on the toilet. Yeah, that is true. Did, you yeah. become so constipated. <laughs> How about Lenny yeah. Bruce? Didn't he? Yeah. In a in a in a public stall, I guess. I, I think if, if I remember, yeah. Scott, you're putting so many thoughts into my brain going all these years back because you mentioned the Hellraiser that Harry Nilsson was. Remember who he used to raise all his hell with? One of his best buddies, and they raised hell like mad together. Was John Lennon? 
Yeah, they had the uh, they had the um, yeah, uh, the, the last weekend. In fact, we had yes. my book, book launch party. We, we had my book launch party uh, back in June first when the when my book came out, and May Pang, uh, who was John oh. Lennon's girlfriend at the time, was uh, was at the party. So so I got to meet her. Uh, but uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, they were uh, they were notorious. The funny thing is, I think after that, they didn't even really see each other ever again, from what I understand. Yeah, that's what I understand as well. But you know, one of the great things to talk we're talking to Scott G about his book, All the Leaves Are Brown, How the Mamas and the Papas Came Together and Broke Apart. Um, how did they break apart, Scott? Or why did they break apart is a better question, I guess. I just think all the friction between the, the relationships and the drugs yeah. and everything, just and, and Cass was kind of uh, looking to move on. And, you know, the mamas, you know, John just kind of got, you know, he just kind of got burned out, and I think you know, he was—he he became less and less proficient of a songwriter, and I think he kind of dried up. And uh, Dunhill Records, which was you know owned by ABC uh, at that time, um, saw the writing on the wall that there wasn't going to be any new product from the Mamas and the Papas, so right. they they kind of transitioned to Cass Elliott and um, you know, Dream a Little Dream of Me, which was uh, the, their final big hit. Mm -hmm. Uh, it was it was it was like their last big hit and and Mama Cass's first solo hit because it's it's credited on the on the label it's Mama Cass with the Mamas and the Papas and, and needless to say that didn't go over too well with John <laughs> and everybody but yeah. but uh, you know but it was I think they saw like hey Cass is ready to go and she's got a great yeah you know, she's the strongest singer of the group and and you know and they went went along with her and. You know, uh, you know, Cass had a, a solo career, and it was it was a good solo career. Well, I don't think it was what they had expected. She, after Dream of Little Dream of Me, she didn't really have any big, big hits. She had some top forty hits, but uh, you know, it was it was kind of disappointing. But what she what what was uh, working for her was her appearance on talk shows and variety shows, yeah. and uh, people just loved her. She filled in for Carson. You know, she did. Uh, she she was always on the. Uh, uh, Mike Douglas and, and Merv Griffin, and uh, you know she. Uh, I think had she lived, she probably would have been a talk show host, a very successful one too, or moderately successful. That's <laughs> so, probably true. And, yeah, and the other ones, they like. I think Denny put out a couple solo albums. John put out one, you know, and he had a lot of. And he signed with Columbia Records, and most of the. I think only one single was released, and they just kind of. The shame is, it's kind of like the Love and Spoonful, like. Almost none of the the uh, members of the group uh, did much, had any solo success, or even recorded that much, which is a shame. John Sebastian, my God, there's another one. You know, Scott. Yeah, uh, right. Ballpark. Uh, how how you don't have to tell me how old you are, but kind of the era that in which you grew up was this your era? No, I'm 47. Okay, so, so that's, that's uh, what I was wondering. I, I'm in, a child of the 80s and the 90s, but, uh, you know, I've been listening to oldies and 50s and 60s and all genres and just been living, loving and studying music from that era since I was a little kid, probably eight or nine years old. So uh, this is the kind of the, my, my tribute to the music of that era. Do you think the, the turmoil of the Vietnam War and the riots in the late 1960s and, uh, you know, so that was, that was Mike in my time. Mike is the, the other... One of the other people on the show, my son Andy's on it as well. But um, that, to me, is what music has always been about. And maybe it's because of the era in which we grew up. The music always was kind of there 
to calm you down from all the turmoil and the hatred and the murder and your brother, you know, going to Vietnam right. and you're this person. To, I mean, we needed to be calmed down, and I think groups like the Mamas and the Papas really helped that. Yeah, and also, you know, there's, you know, you make you can you can take lemons and make lemonade, right? You know, obviously, the Vietnam and the civil rights era was very stressful. It took a toll on the country, but we got we got something good out of it. We got some really great music, yep. you know, and uh, it, it really became a, a catalyst for 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 so many great songs that came along in the late sixties and and into the throughout the nineteen seventies. I would say. Do you think that could ever happen again? Would music bring us uh, to a better place like it did in the 60s and 70s? Uh, it's possible, but uh, probably unlikely. Yeah, it's <laughs> too know? profitable these but days. It, yeah. yeah, really, it's, it's, it's so corporate, and, mm. uh, you know, you, and it really it just caters to one demographic, and that's really kind of teenagers, yep. uh, at least for the popular stuff, the stuff that gets the most, uh, most, gets, gets the most promotion. You know, Scott, you've, the great memories you brought with you uh, today, this morning, it's just I'm going to be thinking about this all day, and now I'm going to be, you know, sitting in my, I'm going to be sitting in my car today, playing this music and just enjoying it, and and looking back. I will tell you this: I hope it does happen, where music leads the way, because when I do look back at those eras we just talked about, and all the violence and the, you know, the horrible situations. There was also, as I said, Mamas and the Papas, there was Gary Puckett, there were the Beatles, there were all the Rolling Stones. Music, I sincerely think, particularly for a guy like Marvin Gaye, it might have saved a lot of people from going off the deep end. It was wonderful to have it. Well, count me among you as uh, somebody who hopes that that does indeed happen. And yeah, I agree. It was, uh, and it still carries on. You know, the people who are really into music and just love music will, will they will seek those things out. You know, Mike, what do you think? Uh, you know, it's interesting to me that my kids. So I'm I'm 73, and my kids have always kind of kind of at least been interested in the same music that I grew up with. Mm-hmm. They don't just discard it. You know, they, they hear things many years later. They hear, you know, a group like mm-hmm. the Beach Boys, for example. Right. And, and they dig it. So uh, I think it's universal, that kind of sound, but it's just not marketed the way it used to be. No. No, that's very true. Yeah, there's not as much money in it. <laughs> no. And, and, you know, how do you, how do you get airtime these days it's when it's going to be Taylor Swift? like? Well, know? that's the thing. It's like one minute of airtime for these giant artists is worth millions of dollars. So yeah. they're not going to waste right. it on something small. Yeah. And I, and I think Taylor Swift is great. But still, it's, it's uh, as, as, the, uh, as the kids like to say these days, and, and middle-aged people, it's a lot. <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot. It's a lot. For some reason, every woman I know says that. Well, it's like Scott said, it's all corporate. I mean, there's only a couple labels these days, and they're all basically owned yeah. by the same yeah. giant conglomerates. There's yeah. no competition. There's no, no. Uh, I don't know. It's Everything is just the same. And, and I, I used to enjoy listening to country music on the radio. I still like country music, but not the stuff that's on the radio. Yeah, it's a different deal now. C.W. McCall? It's amazing how it's just, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> exactly, yeah. Well, it's amazing how radio has, has basically ruined country music by turning into something that it never was. That's well, true. It's been a parody of itself for probably 20 years. Yeah. And now, and now there's some guy out there who has a, uh, I haven't heard this song, but I've read about it. Some guy's got a country song that's apparently very popular today. It's basically, it's, it's a 
basically about lynching people you don't like. <clears throat> well, why wouldn't that be popular? It? <laughs> oh, it's, yeah, it's really popular, yeah. Oh, God, I'm having the memories. <laughs> I, it, this God. is another one of those situations. The influence of this music, we're talking about the Mamas and the Papas here with Scott G. Shea. Um, but the thing that I look back on, I'm growing up in North Minneapolis in Minnesota, and I'm walking down the street, um, at the time probably 12 or 13 years old, and looking back now at that era, I'm walking down the street in Minnesota as a 13-year-old boy and singing Surf City. Like, <laughs> I know. what? I know. I, same thing here. Like, I, you know, I don't know much about it. But I didn't know anything about Surf right. City. No, I, I, I thought it was just, you know, some town in California. Right, right. <laughs> well, here, here's an interesting, I know a lot of your audience is in Minnesota, and, um, uh, an interesting tidbit is uh, John uh, Phillips's folk group, The Journeyman. They released an album in '63, '62 or '63 called uh, "Coming Attraction," and that was recorded live at the Padded Cell in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Oh, oh yeah, the Padded Cell. Yeah, that's a while ago. Mm. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Scott, we got very lucky. Uh, I mean, in this area, obviously, with Bob Dylan in the '60s, but Prince mm -hmm. did so much for music coming out of uh, Minneapolis as well. Great, great musicians. I mean, we had so many good bands. There was a band called the Dell Counts back in the day. Yeah. Boy, you'd go see them. They're just there were many of them though. Well, with Prince, you know, yeah. With Prince, with Prince, people started talking about the Minneapolis sound. There was no Minneapolis sound. No, no, there was not. <laughs> they kind of made that up. Yeah. Paisley Park, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, if there had been, it would have been a good thing. But uh, you know, we were much more eclectic than that. But did, did did everybody realize the the influence that music had on young people? Like I said, walking along at twelve years old, singing "I'm Going to Surf City" in Minneapolis. I mean, that's that's huge influence, <laughs> yeah. right? That's right. Absolutely, it is. Yeah, you know, it's um, uh, and again a testimony to what we were saying before. There was uh, it, it, there were less people and less stations, and it made uh, made the cream rise to the top. So uh, you know, you benefit. Yeah, it, we we all benefited from that. And and now you have, so you've got on one side you've got country music, which is exacerbating tensions and telling one group to do terrible things. And the other side, you have rap music, and they have their own cult there, no and they're telling them it. to go out and do terrible yeah, things. They are. It's never about, yeah. hey... Whatever happened, to, whatever happened to peace and love, right? Yeah. I remember, <laughs> I remember I was 17, maybe 16, 17, and I was driving down the street in my dad's car, and I pulled up at a red light. I was on Glenwood Avenue, Sure. And, which, you know, was an, which was sort of an eclectic avenue. Mm -hmm. And um, so there's a guy in the next lane, and both of us have our windows down, no air conditioning in those cars, summer day, and I'm listening to People Gotta Be Free, right? Yep. On KUXL. I look over. He's listening to KUXL. There you go. He, and, and so we're both listening. To them. We look at each other, smile, and we both kind of give each other the thumbs up. There you go. I, you know, I don't yeah. know if that can happen yeah. anymore. <laughs> Somewhere, some way. <laughs> yeah, but, but that not, was not as often as it, you know, not as often as it did no, back in the but that days. that was a thing where people were coming together. Scott, Absolutely. thank you. Thank you so much for your time today, Scott G. Shea, ladies and gentlemen. The book is called "All the Leaves Are Brown: How the Mamas and Papas Came Together and Broke Apart." Scott, what a great half hour that was. Thank you so much for your time today, sir. 
appreciate you having me on. And if any of your listeners, they can go to scottsheaauthor.com, and Shea is spelled S-H-E-A, and they can find links to pick up the book and uh, the links to all my socials. Okay, go to Surf City today, Scott. Um, uh, that's what I'm going to do, man. <laughs> <laughs> Talk to you later. Thank you. You need to know a guy for your auto repairs, legal issues, banking, and more. The same goes for investment advice. You need a guy to help you be successful, someone you can trust who gets results. Well, I got a guy for you, Josh Arnold. Josh gives you straight talk, not sugar-coated advice about your financial situation. Josh has seen it all when it comes to economic and market conditions, and Josh can make sure that your retirement objectives match your investments. Do yourself a favor and call Josh now for a no-obligation, 48-minute evaluation. You've got nothing to lose, and you'll get a different point of view for your investments. Call Josh at 952-925-5608. That is 952-925-5608. You'll be glad that you did. And tell him his, his guy, Tom, sent you. Investment services offered by Josh Arnold Investment Consultant, LLC, a security investment advisor. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All investments involve risk. All comments and opinions are Josh Arnold's and do not constitute investment advice. Tom Bernard is a paid endorser. I'm Bradley Trainer, And I'm Don McClain. We have a podcast called Blinded by the Item. A blind item is gossip about a celebrity with their name left out. It's a guessing game and you can play along. The item might be like, this A-list star carries a Birkin bag worth more than the average person's house to the gym to work out. Pretty sure that's J-Lo. And P.S. The person behind all of this is Chris Jenner, LLC. We drop a new episode every weekday so the fun never ends. Blinded by the Item. Listen wherever you get podcasts and watch us on the Blinded by the Item YouTube channel. Very, very nice guy because it took literally four days to figure out a time when he could be on. And he was very patient about it, didn't you think, Andy? Yeah. I, most people probably would have said forget it. Yeah, it would... I'm telling you, just talking about that era, Andy, and I know it's long before you were born, but just talking about that era makes me feel good. And there was a lot of turmoil. My neighborhood burned to the ground. My brother was in Vietnam doing, what, five and a half, six years, uh, a couple of tours of duty in Vietnam. There was a strife, and people hated one and this. But the music, I think, brought us some peace. I really do. Yeah, you know, you can't really, folk music is pretty much dead in terms of popularity. You will find some notes of it. You will find some hints of it in Americana music, which is where the country, the good country music became Americana music. What is going on with this whole deal? Because I don't listen to country music for the very reasons you pointed out, because it's not what it used to be. No, the the cowboy hats, forget about it. Well, they still wear the cowboy hats, but uh, they're kind of fakey looking. Yeah, kind of fakey looking, and you know the 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 cute the cute women with the uh, knee high boots and uh, yeah, and, yeah, and I just you know who can sing though? So who's this guy that's an all that got a tit in a ringer over bitching about I don't know, something? The guy like the, the, like something something like you know. I can't remember the title of the song. It's Jason Aldean. You can find it in a second. Oh, it's Jason Aldean. It's called That's Try who... That in a Small Town. Yeah, Try That in a Small Town. Oh, there you go. It's basically, a bunch, it's basically about rioters coming to a small town and saying that if you try that, then yeah. you're not going to live too long. And, and just, just for, uh, I think just for uh, maybe authenticity, the, the, the video of it is, uh, was, was done on the site of a, of, a, of a famous lynching. Yeah, it was. Yep. Yeah. So that's great. Yeah. But apparently they shoot a lot of videos there. Do they? That's what they said, yeah, that there are a lot of videos are shot there for some reason. It's in front of a courthouse or something, isn't it? 
I don't. I, in Virginia, it, that's I, what I heard. I guess I'll actually have to watch it. I really don't want to, but Let's the song's not here. very good, is it? Well, it's of course not. Well, I mean, I haven't heard it. I just I heard little bits of it. And this is a guy who's who who's celebrating, you know, shooting people. A guy who was on stage in Las Vegas. Yeah, he was. When sixty people were killed by a mass shooter. Was it sixty people? Yeah, yeah. Jesus, I didn't one remember that One of the, one of the worst mass shootings ever. I knew that. There's no question about it. But so he's. Uh, now, of course, that has broken that community in half, of course. Yeah. you got people supporting right. it and people that hate it. Yeah, because the, the country music community is, is itself pretty eclectic. It's not, yeah. it's not just one thing. Is the song any good? I haven't heard it. It's, I haven't either. It's Jason Aldean. He's one of these guys who growls but can't really sing. Oh, really? He growls I mean, a lot? And I know people would be upset by my saying that. But again, I'm listen, nobody loved... Uh, and still does love, you know, the the great the great ones. Tammy Wynette, I still like her. Patty oh, yeah. Loveless is fantastic. Yep. Uh, and and of course, you know, then you got the Merle the Hag, you know. Merle Haggard was phenomenal. George Jones. See, my mother was a huge country fan. Yeah. Glenn yeah. Miller and country music. Sure. That's what she loved. Yeah. Well, I was a huge country fan. I mean, 1967. And I'm right, you know, I'm driving my dad's car, and I'm I'm uh, messing with all the presets. Oh, he loved that, I bet. Uh, well, he didn't care because... <laughs> oh, he didn't care, okay. As long as I kept WCCO, he was fine. <laughs> yeah, I suppose that. Well, they had about a 60 share back then. Yeah, right? yeah, they were doing pretty well. They, they had the Twins well. game, so yep. uh, they were they were sitting pretty. But the, the thing is, um, because I, you know, my mom liked to listen to show, to show tunes. My dad was into Louis Armstrong. So I Louis. finally break out of that, and I got all these radio stations, and all I can listen to is KOXL, which is well soul music, mm-hmm. and one side and country music on the other. Yeah, because they're all new to me. I never heard either of it. No, I understand that absolutely. And it was a, you know it was a wonderful discovery. Now don't get me wrong, I was still into top forty because you know love the Beach Boys, of course. The Beach Boys. And there was nothing more soothing than the harmony of the Beach Boys. But honest to God, even at eleven, twelve years old, I thought, why am I singing a song about surfing? <laughs> I know. I'm like, why am I even doing? I'm going to surf city, hey, going to have some fun. That was my, my, you know, my first concert, <laughs> the Beach Boys in Excelsior, you know, in the old wooden wooden pavilion yeah, there that burned down. It Luckily, was the, not that night. It was on the site of the old uh, the old amusement park, wasn't yes. it? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Damn right. What the hell was the name of the amusement park again? I forgot. Oh, God. What was it? Um... um I, it, was, it was a guy's name, right? It was. I think so. Yeah, because there was uh, the guy who had started the place. I can't remember his name, of course, but... Yeah, it was, uh, and and that was my my friend Chris Adams. He uh, Chris Adams was uh, was a nice blonde Methodist kid, you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And so I'd go over to his house, All right. and his he had an older brother who was a musician, and so you know I'm I'm like 13 years old. I go over to his house, we we hang out, and that's my first exposure to the Beach Boys, and I just couldn't stop listening to it. Well, the harmonies were phenomenal. It was the harmonies. That was the whole thing, yeah. Mm -hmm. And they're talking about two things. They're talking about surfing and hot rods. I don't know much about either. I (laughs) don't either. I didn't drive a car and I didn't surf. No. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, that. But I will tell you one thing, and this is a true story, because the Beach Boys, my whole career, were on Capitol Records. Yeah. So I spent a lot of time with the Beach Boys, Mike Love and Mm -hmm. all those people. Was Mike Love a bigger jerk, as everyone said? No. Very That's nice guy, but he put up with zero bullshit. Because Brian that, Wilson hated him. Oh, I know they did not. Get I guess along he at still all. does. 
Yeah, Brian Wilson's a great guy, too. Yeah. I tell you one thing about talking face-to-face with Brian Wilson. Mm. You could see the sensitivity, man. Oh, this pain. boy, This boy was in pain. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. And he was being kind of exploited, I think. Oh, I think you're probably right about that. But I, I'm, one of the saddest things that ever happened in my career, I'm backstage in the, in the uh, dressing room talking to Brian Wilson. Mm. Nicest guy in the world. Matter of fact, he sent me a picture that I, I it was a comedian I gave the picture to. It was a beach boy, a picture of the Beach Boys that was autographed by everybody. God, who the hell was that comedian I gave that that picture to? Because he just went off off the deep end about it. But I'm sitting back there, and he gave me this picture I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. He said, "Tom, I wanted you to have this, this is, you know, from all the boys in the band and all this, blah blah blah, all all the rest of it." And uh, I said, "Well, I probably better get out of here because I know you got to head out on stage in a couple of minutes." So as I opened the door to leave, there were four guys standing there, mm. you know, doing security. Mm. Brian was big into security. Yeah. Very yeah. big. So I'm standing there, and they go in, and each one is carrying a bed sheet. All four oh, of them. Yeah, I know where that's going. Yep. And they made a big, circ- a big square out of it, mm. and Brian stepped into the middle of it, and they held it up so when he was being escorted from the dressing room to the stage, you couldn't see him. Yeah. It was very, very sad, actually. He spent a lot of time in a sandbox, too. Oh, yeah. Put his, he played. He wrote a lot of music in the sandbox. Yeah, yeah. The piano was right in the sandbox. Well, what about his dad? Did you ever meet him? Never met Murray, but I heard he was a mass, massive prick. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much what I heard, too. I'm sure it's true, and that may yep. have something to do with Brian's being... Uh, well, of course, Brian probably had some. There was some probably something in his DNA too. Oh, I would think so, probably because his father literally took advantage of his own kids. Oh yeah. There's no question that he did. He used his kids to make money, and drove his son Brian nuts. Yeah. Basically. Right. It was okay with him as long as Brian churned out hits, I guess. Why do you think it is, Andy? Because you were outside that generation. Why do you think it is that a that a surfing band broke so big in America? I don't know. I think it's just kids like what they like without thinking about it i mean if you think about it my generation we pretty much all grew up watching anime yeah uh, yeah. japanese cartoons that had nothing to do with real Mm. life at all yeah um a lot of these cartoons were basically about life in tokyo which yeah pretty much as far removed as possible from growing up in dayton minnesota um but it didn't matter because it's what we liked well, and you know, surfing surfing is sort of about freedom too. That's a good point. So you know, you can understand the appeal. There. Well, there's always a, that's the thing about media is that good media, no matter where it's set, always has some sort of universal message to it. Hmm. Which is like you know, for anime, it's usually like you know, the power of friendship or what the hell ever. Yeah. But you know, like you said, it's not really so much about surfing or going to California or whatever. It's just about, you know, having fun, doing what you want, enjoying yeah. summer, that sort of thing. Everyone can enjoy summer. Yeah, I would hope so. <laughs> Except if you're in Phoenix. Uh, well, oh God, I <laughs> well, that's real summery. <laughs> I have never liked Phoenix, i got to be honest no, with you. I would no. rather be never in Alaska in the winter than Phoenix in the summer. <laughs> yeah, I oh, no question. True. Um. You know, t- talking about listening this morning on the way in, I, uh, as I said, I heard Gary Puckett, and they had a great song called Over You. Yep. And the great thing about that is I came out when I was a young teen, and I didn't realize until I heard it about the third, third time that it was about three different things. Oh, that song Over You was about three. You would think it was just 
Uh, a lot of people thought it was just, I'm over you. Right. In other yeah. words, I don't care about you anymore, all the rest of it. And then other people thought, is the misery he felt was being over you, mm. you know, that she left him. Right. And then uh, at the end of the song, it's kind of like, well, I guess I'm have to, gonna have, and to go on, I'm going to have to admit to myself that I'm over you, but I don't want to be. Mm. It was a great song. I mean, there were songs like that back in that era that were amazingly good. Do you remember that a very early Beach Boys song? Uh, I, I can't remember what album it was on, but it was uh, the song was called uh, I, "I'd Love Just Once to See You." Remember that song? Yeah, yeah. And and the, that was of course the refrain. And over and over they kept singing "I'd Love Just Once to See You." Yeah. And then the very very end of the song was "I'd Love Just Once to See You." In the nude. <laughs> they had a sense of humor. See, that's what I loved about music back then. Now it's all, you know, dropping the big end on yeah. one side, and then it's on the countryside. It's like, yeah. you know, don't be woke around me. or Everything's, I suppose it always was political, I guess, but not in a... Well, if you, if you listen to most music from the 60s, yeah. it's garbage. Well, You're remembering yeah. the hits, the good stuff. Yeah, You're suppose. not remembering, you know, the seventh track on the the record where they were just Wait like doing whatever the hell they were to, you know they were Are just you, trying to fill out the vinyl basically oh yeah there's no question and there's a out lot albums. of that out there well before that in the 50s basically people only bought singles they didn't buy until elvis presley yeah they didn't really buy many albums yeah honestly records were not a good idea well and the other thing oh. you know it was in the 50s especially you had professionals writing the songs yeah, back then that you did. And, and along with, with singer-songwriters came a lot of really shitty songs. Mm -hmm. Well, it's like Michael Jackson. He barely wrote any of his own songs, and he was yeah. massive for it because it's a you know proven, proven formula. Yeah. You got Are your you... singer, you got your songwriter, but they thought, oh, well, I can write songs, and they couldn't. no, they can't. No. Are you people telling me you didn't like Winchester Cathedral? No, no, that's a classic. A great song of the 60s oh, right no. there. Winchester <laughs> Cathedral. That was one of those uh, sort of quirky, uh, they, I think they had a name for songs like that, didn't they? The things that were just supposed to be sort of funny but not real music. Yeah, they did. Oh, like novelty songs? Oh, like yeah, a novelty kind of, song. I think it was, a, yeah, you're song. right, it was novelty songs, yeah. But uh, honest to God, Andy, Mike and I have to admit to the world that we grew up in one of the great musical eras of all time. That's uh, certainly the way I feel, yeah. No doubt about it. And I'm sure that, like I said, I mentioned my mother listening to Glenn Miller. Mm. And yeah, I think everyone thinks they grew up yeah, in the Yeah, probably. That was the well, one thing, I, one thing I know is that 100 years from now, if there is a human race, they'll be listening to the Beatles' White Album. I know. Oh, what a great album. They'll also is. be overplaying um, Queen. <laughs> it's probably true. How about Elvis? Is Elvis hanging in there as far as sales are concerned? Not really. Not anymore? No one under the age of probably 50 cares about Elvis. To Elvis anymore. I suppose I only do because my mother loved Elvis. Well, that's because the thing. He, was, it's, he, he was a poor kid that made it big, and she loved that. Yeah, he's multiple generations removed at this point. Yeah. yeah he, he was true. before the Beatles by like 10 years, right, at least? 55, 54? So yeah, about 10 years. And the, 54? And the, the Beatles are like, I don't think Gen Z cares about the Beatles, really. Oh, I think you're probably right. And so it seems music will last, you know, when you're growing up with it, of course you listen to it. That's what you do. Mm. And then your kids listen to it. And then after that, I think it kind of peters out. Once the third generation grows around, I yeah. think it's... 
it doesn't usually last. You know, some things well seem to stand the yeah. test of time forever, but it's not popular anymore, that's for sure. The, the way I measure its importance in our life is to think back. And if you can remember the day they died, it was important in your life. Yeah. You know, because I think, I think uh, well, everybody mm-hmm. remembers when John Lennon died. Yeah, no doubt about that was me. a lot just because of, you know, the horrific <laughs> Not <life>. me. <laughs> he goes, not when me. When did he die? Well, I remember because, you know, I think was most, December of the, 10th? most of America heard the news from Howard Cosell. I mean, what year did oh, he that's die? Right. It was a Monday, you're right. Watching Monday Night yeah, Football. Right. Monday Night Football. And Howard Cosell, like toward the end. <laughs> You know, and he really delivers it in a. I, I, when you think back, it was distasteful, really. Yeah, I suppose. And you know, and, yeah. he, and he says, "So, eight o'clock, New York City," and then he, you know, goes on like that, and on and on. John Lennon shot dead. It's like, no, yeah. no. <laughs> are, you, are you telling a story or delivering what happened? It's, that that no, that was that was the way. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I mean, it was just it was. But I do remember it, of mm-hmm. course, and I remember the day Elvis died, even though I really was never an Elvis fan at all. I'm trying to think of the first I was oh, musician I, I remember dying, like in era. Mm-hmm. I don't know who it would have been. Amy Winehouse, maybe. Yeah, that makes sense. She was a pretty high-profile. Oh death. God, what a sad and story that, that was. I, I think I must have been like 18 Jesus. or 19. When did she die? I remember when Jim Morrison died. Amy oh, yeah. Winehouse died in 2011. So, no, I was 25. Yeah. Jeez, really? I can't think of anyone who died, like, in the early 2000s that I would have been familiar with. Of course, a lot, a lot of the ones we remember is just because of the tragic way they died. Well, that's the thing. Amy Winehouse's death was, it's, it was very ironic because she sang Rehab. Yeah, that's yeah. right. They tried to make me go to rehab. Go rehab. Yep, and then of course she overdosed. No, no, no. Yeah, so it's it was uh, it was very, uh, very steeped in ironic. Irony. By the way, Andy, I just typed in John Lennon's death because I want to check. It was uh, yeah, it was December eighth though. It wasn't December tenth. It was December eighth, a Monday, nineteen eighty. I was working yeah. at Capitol Records at the time, mm-hmm. so John Lennon was on my label, yeah. and I remember I was still living with my well, my mother was living with me because I bought a house, and then my mother lived with me and my younger brothers, and I will never forget. I woke up that morning, and my mother was still a diner waitress, so she'd leave really early. I walked out, and there was a note on the door that said. They killed John Lennon. Yeah. I will never forget that as long as, not John Lennon's dead. Right, right. She put, they killed they John killed Lennon. Them. So I wonder who they would have been to her. The crazies. But, but Andy, if you, if you type in John Lennon's death, John Lennon's death announced by Howard Cosell is the third thing that comes up. <laughs> well, and, and today, now I'm not, uh, believe me, I'm, I'm not castigating any group at all. I'm just saying times have changed, and if you saw that note today, you would think that maybe a transgender person had killed him. Why would you think that, though? Because they. Oh, that's they, them. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. right, the yeah. they, them deal. Yeah. You're a good point. Yeah. And uh, it's not an anti-trans <laughs> observation. Merely wordplay. No, it's, it's just wordplay. Well, that's all it is. The, what I don't understand about that is I still don't understand why would I give a rat's ass what you do with your sexual being? It's your business, not mine. Well, it's it's being used to, to uh, gain political favor. It sure is. I guess. I mean, who cares? There always has to be, you know. There yeah. always has to be a, 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 you know, 
I don't know. It's it's crazy. I I can't I can't explain it either. But for some reason, you got to have you got to have a, a Satan that you can cast against. Now, and a lot of the people, you I know, guess. and a lot of these people, of course, believe in Satan. Like they believe he's a living person. Oh, they really? Oh yeah. Okay. Well, there's there's some colleges. Um, remember that college? I think it's is it Hillsdale College? Is oh, that, Hillsdale, yeah. Is that the yep. one that was founded by the the um, of, let's just say uh, one hell of a real extremist, and I think that's the college. If the one I'm thinking about, that uh, to the students who want to go to the college, they have to sign a promissory a promissory thing saying that they believe that Satan is a living person. Good for them. Yeah, I'm happy for them. But there is the other side of that as well. As you know, you were there when it happened. Mm-hmm. There was never, ever a reason for the, the press in this town to call me a homophobe. But they did it to just hurt me. That's the only reason they did it. I, honestly, God, I don't even remember. I mean, I remember, oh, God, I remember yes. you. There, were, there was plenty of things written that weren't true, but yeah, I don't remember then. that one specifically. Oh, yeah, they call it, I mean, he's a homophobe. It's like, where the hell did you get that? No, it wasn't you. There were notes of homophobia occasionally on, on the morning show, but that wasn't it. No, it wasn't me. No, it was just <laughs> no a, it was, actually that. it was a drop, is what it was. But I just don't understand why it is that people want to use anything to harm someone else. Like oh, if yeah. you're 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 trans, good for you. Yeah, I have four friends that are that are trans, and good. Um, well, you know, Cliff. Cliff's yeah, been on the well, show. Yeah, of course, Cliff. Yeah. Now Lauren Siegel. Yeah. I mean, you go down the list. I don't well, care. Well, that's the thing when you know people you you really you know that i mean that's the end of it it's it's the reason why why gay marriage uh, was was approved why the uh, the bigots couldn't defeat gay marriage is because too many people had cousins sons daughters who had come out of uh, who would come out of the closet and once you know people you can't hate them but let me ask you a question wait a minute stretch saying once you know people you can't hate them <laughs> I'm saying if you have a, oh, you can hate a lot of them, but you can't hate them because they're gay. Oh, okay, I see. But, but I mean, if, there, if you there's can hate someone them because you, you know them, the point personally. is right. Because yes, if you exactly. love, if you love somebody, and they say, "Hey, I'm gay," that's it for you. You're never going to be homophobic again. Like you know, like there, there are a lot of right wing people I could, I could name, like um, Dick Cheney. Was he homophobic? He was. Oh, that's right. That's right. Not anymore. Then he found out his, he had a daughter right. who yeah, was gay. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And then he was all for gay marriage. But see, I don't understand that because in my in our my family, mm-hmm. right? Never been in my family. I don't. I don't know anybody who's ever been homophobic. Right. I don't have any gay relatives. Yeah. There's nobody in my family that's gay, mm-hmm. uh, including cousins. My you know my mother's family, all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Now there may have been, but nobody ever announced it, and I yeah. kind of highly doubt. We were so close that I wouldn't have known that. Yeah, so I have gay cousins, and uh, I, I don't. And it's like I still don't give a rat's ass because, again, you can't grow up in the voice over. Well, it was brought up today. If you're in the voiceover industry, mm-hmm. you will get calls from people who refer to themselves as your gaygent. <laughs> <laughs> They do, and I found that to be very funny. <laughs> that you know. is funny. All right, we got that was a great hour, man. I thought that was terrific. Didn't you guys think that? Yeah, I'm gonna have the I'm gonna have that song that Mamas and the Papas song stuck in my brain all day. Monday, Monday, uh, not that one. No, that that was it. And well, well you know, California song. Dreaming Ca- too. Great song. Yeah, and then I started thinking about all the all the Monday morning songs. 
Because there are a lot of Monday morning songs. Oh, there are a lot of them, no doubt about it. That one song they had that, what the hell was, the the one song they had I just hated. What the hell was it about again? Oh, was it, didn't the Mamas Papas do, I dig rock and roll music? I I know, I hated that song. I hated that song. I think it probably was. Was it the Mamas and the Barbies? That was Peter, Paul, and Mary. Oh, Oh, Peter, Paul, and Mary. Oh, God, yeah. Same They had some, Peter, Paul, and Mary had some garbage. Yeah, they, they had good did. songs too, but they had a, a lot, lot of, of bad stuff. Yeah, and they uh, were a tough group to promote. Were they? Well, especially oh, late in the game. Yeah, late in the game was very, very difficult. They had some political problems, Andy. Yeah, I get. Could you call? Would you call them political problems? It happened a lot in the '60s. Well, it I think did. it was more like criminal problems. Well, yeah, yeah, that's true. All right, boys, we will talk to you on the morning show and the family podcast tomorrow. Mm-hmm.